0: Hello everyone, it is Ann Duffy and welcome to Dental Entrepreneur, the Future of Dentistry podcast. I have a great guest today. We go so far back. I mean, he was with me when, I, when we launched uh, Dental Entrepreneur back in the day. He's been just a great um, mentor to me as I've been publishing all these years. He is nationally recognized as a speaker, author, and consultant who has been advising dentists for over 35 years in dental practice, strategic planning, practice valuations, and dental partnership formation. He is a former department chair at the University of Maryland School of Dentistry and also served as a member of the faculty at Penn Dental Medicine. He is a member of the board of directors for Dental Entrepreneur Magazine, thank you very much, and has been a frequent contributor to Dental Economics Magazine. He has also received his DMD from the University of Pennsylvania School of Dental Medicine and his MBA from the Wharton School Graduate Division at the University of Pennsylvania. Please help me welcome the esteemed Dr. Tom Snyder. Welcome, Tom.
1: Thank you, Anne, for that very, very nice, warm introduction. I forget that I did all these things in my career.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's nice to hear somebody else uh, toot your own horn a little bit because you know, you have been a mentor, not only to me, but to so many in our industry. And, and we've all looked up to you over the years. If I tell anybody that I've got Tom, I'm on, on the, I'm doing a podcast with Tom Snyder, like the Tom Snyder. I'm like, yes, that's the one. That's the one. Oh, well, thank you. But uh, you, you. you're such an expert in the field of um, transitions. And of there's so much going on in our, in our field right now um, with the DSO market and, and uh, the economy And I know that, um, you have the pulse of where the curtains, the current status is on practice values. And so, you know, I know that all all of the people that are listening to us here today are interested in that because they're either graduating dental school or they've been working for a while. And they're, they may be thinking about, is it time to buy a practice? And what, what do you think is the current status right now in
1: 2022? Well, uh, We didn't really know what was gonna happen with the pandemic as far as the impact on practice values. And right during the pandemic, things were a little rocky as far as valuations, but soon thereafter, 2021, uh, as many doctors know, they rebounded well. Their practices came back to where they were pre-pandemic or better. Consequently, values have not dropped. In fact, practice values still remain very high throughout the country. And it's due to really two reasons. One, we still have more doctors graduating from dental school than we do retirees, although that trend is starting to change. Actually, the most recent year we saw a spike in doctors over the age of 55 retiring in 2021, up by 21% over a prior year. So what I think we're gonna keep seeing for the foreseeable future is more of the older doctors retiring, and so that will get to a point where there'll be more doctors retiring than graduating. Because right now with more doctors graduating than retiring, we have what we call an imbalance, supply and demand. There's, there's more buyers for sellers. So that's one thing we see. And another thing we see for those doctors who are practicing in suburban and urban areas, chances are they're gonna get a higher value than someone who's practicing in a small town or a rural area. Again. Supply and demand. Why? Most recent grads of the last decade or so, if not even longer than that, have chosen to live and practice in urban and suburban areas, even though they have a lot of them have student debt. They have to maybe work two jobs to pay that down because they can't make enough money where maybe if they practice in a small town or rural area, they might find they can do extremely well financially. But it's all about lifestyle. That's just the bottom line. Uh, even though we have lots of great practices in those areas, doctors don't want to go there. So again, doctors who want to live and practice in urban and suburban areas, at least for the foreseeable future, you're going to pay a premium for the practice you purchase. It's as simple as that. In addition, the DSOs have kept values high as well because they're offering incredible multiples for practices. And over the last several years, more DSOs are getting into the specialty arena. So we're seeing specialists really do well. So bottom line in values, for the next few years, I don't think we're gonna see much change, but maybe in five years or more, as we have more doctors retiring, that imbalance will disappear and it may level off, but it's gonna be a while before that happens. But that shouldn't deter somebody from buying today. As you know, we talk about financial issues and lending, uh, it's still a great time to buy.
0: Yeah, I think it's always a great time to buy. I mean, and you know, even well, we can kind of um, you know look at to housing right now, right, Tom? I mean, mm-hmm. the you know interest rates have gone up, uh, housing prices have soared, and you know when is the right time to get into the market? I mean, you do need to, to take a look at that. But I, I, what you said, something that really struck me is how can we entice some of these young graduates to take a look. At maybe going into a rural area. And it, you know, like uh, there's areas I'm where well, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there's some areas here that you're not far from Charlotte, but you could actually have a practice that's like maybe, you know, a 25, 30 minute drive, but you're still in a smaller town. And those yes. practices might be a better deal to at least get started, put your foot in in the water and see if that's if that is for you. I think that's something that I'd love to. Um, entice him a little bit more. And it's so funny, Tom and I just finished watching um, just finished Virgin River. I don't know if you've seen this on Netflix, but it's it's a small town uh, medical practice, and she comes in and she's the uh, you know an associate. And I think, you know maybe we need more shows like that on Netflix to um, entice these young people out there that you know just being in in downtown, you know Philadelphia or downtown yes. Charlotte isn't always the best way to go for even a no.
1: lifestyle. No, in fact, I, I, I know some doctors. You know, I have a couple of clients in Texas who live, you know, in more urban areas, but they drive maybe 50, 55 minutes to an hour to a practice in a small town. And quite frankly, the patients in that small town could care less whether you live in that town, because if you're not there, they don't have a dentist locally. So unlike some situations where being part of the community is important from a marketing point of view, in that instance, they're just happy to have a dentist local. So they don't mind if, if you're commuting. So I think there are some places where you can have, have it both ways. You can be in a smaller town uh, and have a really strong practice. And yet, if you're willing to take the time to commute, you can be in a suburb of a metro area, but still drive to a, a smaller town or rural area. So it's it's really... It's, yeah. it's really a challenge because it, it hasn't gotten any better. It's It's, it's got because we have a number of doctors who want to sell their practice who are in these areas and we can't find buyers. And it's it's very frustrating. You try as hard as you can and you can't succeed because we don't have the people willing to take a shot, like you said, and, and see what it's like.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's so funny because there's a, there's a young um, practice owner here in Charlotte And I've known her for a long time, but she, she purposely bought a practice that was 30 minutes away because she didn't really want her business in everybody else's business. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, I think that those are, those are maybe stories we have to get, maybe share her story again in dental entrepreneur. Those are stories we need to be telling because I think there's some real value there. And then the people are so grateful you, And you're going to keep your, your patients, your patient base, because you're the only guy or gal in town um, that can do the work for them. And they're just, again, grateful for your service um, versus, you know, um, you know, having somebody that could go right next door and and find another dentist if they don't like your pricing or they, you know, they, they have a, you know they didn't like your uh, treatment plan or whatever exactly there's a lot of good things there that we we can continue to hit on but let's talk about the interest rates they keep uh, they are keep they keep rising every day i mean i think they just want a 0.75% what impact do you think that's going to have on the dental lending because i do know that the typical scenario that we we we've, we've been having was that there's always someone that will lend a dentist money if they at least have a decent credit score. Yes. Um, So tell us about what do you think that's going to do to the next, uh, in the next, you
1: know, a couple of years. A couple of years. Well, the good news is interest rates in the dental space have not kept pace with the interest rates like mortgage interest, for example. Uh, And there's a reason because in the dental world, most lenders depend on the treasury bill, 10-year treasury bill. And those rates have not been, I mean, they've gone up, but not as dramatic. So consequently, we're seeing loans going between 4 and 5%, which is certainly less than a mortgage. And think of it this way, if you could get a 4.5% interest rate to buy a business, that's a pretty good deal. And banks are now uh, extending the loan payment up to 15 years, some 12, most 10. So depending on the type of practice, depending on your credit worthiness and things of that nature, you could possibly uh, you know, get a good, a good deal as far as paying it out over a longer period of time. It's just like anything else. If you can extend it out, maybe you can afford a little bit larger practice, a little bit more net income. Um, so the lenders right now are fighting for young doctors' business. And so consequently, it's extremely competitive so that when doctors are looking to borrow money to buy a dental practice, make sure you you stick with a dental lender because they understand our profession. Uh, The the default rate is negligible in dentistry. Even with the, the, the pandemic and things, we haven't had a rash of bankruptcies. Like we had a lot of closures in small businesses, particularly the service industries like restaurants, et cetera. So uh, lenders want to loan because that's their business. If they don't loan to dentists or in some cases, physicians and vets, depending on the bank, they don't make any money. Mm-hmm. So uh, my point is that uh, anybody who's thinking of buying a practice, even if values are high, like we said, you're still looking at a career. And when you buy a dental practice, you're buying lifetime earning stream of a doctor who Sold it to you. So if you buy an earnings stream of a quarter of a million dollars, and even if you never grew that practice and never raised your fees over 20 years, that's five million dollars of income. Now obviously you'll make more than that. But I think a lot of young doctors don't think through the financial side of it, notwithstanding. They 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 fret over a quarter of a point interest, but over a, a career, it's maybe a hundred bucks a month, not even that. So Try to, you have to think pretty shrewdly when you're you know, going to borrow money. And that also leads me to a recommendation to have a dental accountant, someone mm-hmm. who's worked in dentistry, because they understand many times the lending landscape. They can help the doctor make some decisions, run some analyses to show them that this is a good investment, et cetera. So uh, the good news is the banks aren't you know, not going to loan money. Uh, creditworthiness is still important. And you know, the lenders know that a lot of young doctors owe a lot of money, but they're very willing to loan. So those doctors who have three, four hundred thousand dollars in debt shouldn't say, I'll never own a dental practice. That's that would be a, a strategic calculation and an error, too. So if you're gonna own something for 15, 20, 25 years and you buy a good income stream. Things will work out, you know that's how I've always looked at it. and uh, I think that's why the banks are in this business to stay as far as loaning to nests.
0: yeah, I, I, and I think that they want you to succeed. So you know, we've talked about this in dental entrepreneur for years when you know we were business beyond the classroom, and we still talk about this. If you surround yourself with the right people that are going to help you grow and that know what they're doing, um, mm-hmm. that's your ticket to success versus again, uncle Charlie down the street or your, or your mom and dad that say, Oh, honey, you got $300,000 in debt. You can't take any more debt on because so often people are afraid of debt. Yes. And, um, I think that, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting, Tom, because I work, you know, with the dental entrepreneur woman, that is one of the threads of, of women in particular, they really don't understand, um, They're, they're more afraid of debt. I mean, I'm, this again, you know, me. I'm anecdotal. They're afraid of debt more than say their male counterparts. It's just something about women. We don't really necessarily want to make money or don't know that we should make money. And those are, that's just a, it's just something that's historically been there, but the money, the money is there and they want to lend to you. And then they want to see you succeed. And, you know, I'm just thinking about this now, and this is just a question that just came to me. Like, what if you, some, Something even if you went bankrupt in your dental practice, somebody's still going to buy it from you. Yes, you know, and you're still yes. going to be able to make the lender whole. Um, so, in a way, no wonder the lenders have. There's just no reason why they wouldn't lend money. And you know, uh, I mean, they sure they have to you know go through all the procedures and, and checkpoints. But it's still kind of a, a no-brainer no
1: brainer. No, it's, it's a it. no brainer, and I think it, it's unfortunately there's. I shouldn't use the word disinformation, but misunderstanding Mm -hmm. of uh, having a lot of debt means you can't become an entrepreneur. It's like, it's, it's just, is not true. Well,
0: and so many of the reasons that that we saw in COVID where you worked for as an associate and you were let go during COVID because they didn't have the patient flow. And when you're an owner, you know, you do get to make those decisions and um, you know, you and I are both uh, entrepreneurial if you will, I mean, you're, you know, I would say entrepreneur, you're either, you know, you're know, you running your own business within a business and there's nothing like having, um, your own thing and making your own decisions on your future. It's yes. just, you know, we, we make some mistakes along the way, but ultimately you had the control to, to live it out and to, you know, look back and say, you know, I, I actually built this and, um, it's, it's something to actually sell, and I, they just don't oh, I wish the dental schools had more time to bring someone in like you and really have them understand that. And that's why I'm glad we're doing this podcast today. Really understand that is, it is for everybody that's, that's they, almost everybody for, that's graduating, I mean, has this same opportunity. They just have to they do. make sure they put some things in place and get the right people. And to your point, so often they don't use a transition specialist and so they actually end up buying something that really isn't exactly what they thought it was and that's where the problem comes in is when they don't use the specialist someone like you that's going to help walk them through it
1: yes i agree because you know it's uh there's a lot of moving parts to uh purchasing a dental business and even more so when you're forming a dental partnership which more and more young doctors are doing now since they less younger doctors want to be solo practitioners. That's that's a big change that we see too.
0: Oh yeah, and especially with women. I mean, I know a lot of uh, women that are practicing together, and they have worked out this great schedule that they don't work. You know, five days a week, eight hours right. a day. They've got you know, depending on how old their kids are, they've got this really nice flow, and you know, you just need some help putting that, that together, but it's doable. And they Very feel like so. when I talked and they feel like they've got it all, they've got, they, they really do have put people in place to help them with uh, things that they're not good at. And, um, you know, really have a great career and, and, you know, be a practicing dentist, owning their own practice in a, in a, in any kind of a town is, is, is um, I think what they went for to begin with. Right. I think that's, that's right most often it's fear that holds us back. Well, what about the, the, um, the associates that are going into private practice or in corporate dentistry? Like I know this, I feel like the schools now are, are pushing a little bit more for corporate dentistry and maybe that's because it's an easier route. Um, but what do you, what do you see uh, as far as statistically, you know, what the young yeah. grads are, are looking at?
1: Well, it, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Everybody talks about corporate dentistry. No one knows what their final, what we call market penetration ratio is going to be. You know, is it going to be 50% of all practices, 60%, 70% more or less? Uh, Right now, it's probably 16 to 20% of practices are in the corporate realm, you know, depending how it's defined. Um, But what's interesting is what the recent grads are doing now back, in, I think it's 2015, about 12% of recent grads went right into working at, in a DSO. Uh, in 2020, it was 30%, wow. so more than a double. So I think part of that's due to the fact that a lot of these young doctors have student debt. Now it's also interesting, one of the things that people don't realize that about 20% of recent grads have no debt whatsoever. So they really, uh, if, if you're looking at someone who feels they're qualified to go into the entrepreneurial world, it's the ones who have zero debt. I think the ones who are, you know, have debt over three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand, which there are quite a few young graduates that are in that mode, feel that they're going to work in a, in a, as an associate mm-hmm. in a private practice or in a corporate model. Uh, but what I think we're going to see is maybe a number of those doctors. May work there for a few years to really pay down some debt, not only uh, pick up more clinical experience and things of that nature, but feel a little more ready. So we may, you know, no one's done any studies on this, but it may be that the doctors who are really heavily in debt may not be permanent employees. Maybe they'll start looking, maybe in their earlier mid 30s, they'll say, you know what, I'm going to practice another 20 years you know, I had 300,000 in debt, I'm down to 100, maybe less, depending how successful I was in the group that I worked. And I've learned a lot of things about management, about clinical skills, presentation, everything else. I'm going to do it. So we may find a, 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 a group of doctors who are, you know, heavily in debt, go into the private sector later in life. Now, I could be wrong. It may be that some doctors want to, uh, become uh, permanent employees. And, and one of the things that I, I found interesting, uh, looking at uh, practice ownership, that there is definitely a decline, not only in doctors who wanna be solo practitioners, but in doctors who want to be owners. Uh, for example, uh, just, you know, cause I like to throw numbers out because numbers tell the story. Mm-hmm. So from 2005 to 2021, if we look at the age group of 35 to 44-year-old, ownership dropped from 86% to 73%. That's a big drop. And in the age group between 30 and 34 over that same period, ownership dropped from 55% to 34%. So what is that telling us? Our, you know Because when I went to dental school, everybody primarily wanted to be a solo practitioner. That was the model way back then. Then it changed, but now we're seeing more doctors who are thinking, well, maybe I don't wanna own, and maybe I will work for someone for the rest of my life, which is possible. The only caveat is that you could be making $350,000 working for 10 years in a group. And what if that group gets you know, recapitalized, which means they sell to another corporate entity and they don't want this high priced talent. So now you're on the street starting all over again. Whereas mm-hmm. if you owned a business, you can't fire yourself. So that's one of my big arguments, somewhat emotional, but true. Yeah. You don't, you're not in control. So my comment to those doctors who want to work uh, as permanent long-term employees is if they have a, if they have a no cut contract uh, and a golden parachute, like some corporate uh, folks do, then well, that's okay. But most of them don't have that kind of safety net. So that's the one thing that I get concerned about if you're doing very well working for someone else and they decide that you're expendable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and now yeah. you have a new lifestyle where you've, you're living like a person who's earning 350 and all of a sudden you don't have a job. That's a pretty scary thought.
0: That is scary. And not only that, I mean, you know, um, the leadership changes. And so yeah. what one leader is wanting you to do, um, you know, another will maybe want you to do more or Correct. or what have you and so you don't have any control of that of how you're going to run your practice how the culture the culture comes from the top uh there's so many For reasons sure. why oh yes i yes. think it's 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 a great i and i and i i am more open to dsos than i ever have been just getting to know a few of them and i always say you know like there are good dsos and there are of good course. private practitioners and they're not so good dsos and not so good practice private practitioners, but we all come together and maybe rub off on each other, you know, it'll be, it's just good for the profession. But I do feel like, you know, you can get into a situation where you can get your skills up, you can get your, you don't have to worry so much about marketing and from scratch. You know, you have to have a certain resilience um, and and um, grit to, yes. to a scratch practice right out of dental school. And, and I don't, just about everybody I know that's ever done that, Mm-hmm. is really glad they did. I don't yeah. know very many that have started even though it's a little tough in the beginning, they're very happy they did and they're very mm-hmm. successful. So you have that maybe it's that entrepreneurial um you know uh gene if you will. But I still feel like that's part of why most people still go into dentistry because they want to mm-hmm. have the autonomy and run their own thing. So, you know, they they certainly have the smarts to do it and they just again have to, you know, maybe work a little bit more on the on the personal side and, yes. um, and always on the clinical side, you know, as you, you always have to be learning and, and growing in that way. But um, yeah. I, I just okay. feel for, for the future of our profession, you know, we really want to continue to keep private practitioners in
1: practice. Yes. yes. And what's interesting too, which I didn't mention previously, is that we have a lot of younger doctors who are in you know, engaging in multiple office ownership mm-hmm. and they're growing their little empire and they're doing well at it. Uh, some kind of give up the clinical side after a while. Uh, they, they're very good business people as well, but many of them have the aspiration that they, they build this network up. Uh, they can become financially independent because a DSO may come in and, and could offer them 10, 11, 12, 15 times EBITDA, which is a lot of money. And, you know, we're going to have a lot of mid-career, multi-millionaire dentists, you know, 30 and 40. I've met some, I've worked with some, and, you know, it's they're entrepreneurs, and they see an environment out there, they say, well, we have this corporate culture that's going to reward entrepreneurism in a different way than just selling one practice. I'm going to have five or 10 or 15, uh, maybe there's two or three of us that went to school together and we did it, and all of a sudden, they're 45, 50 years old, and they can play golf or fish every day for the rest of their life and put away their handpiece if they want to. So yeah. there, there's another side to this that, you know, it's created a different path now for a lot of particularly younger doctors who are thinking that way. And that's why the DSOs are targeting younger practitioners because they want them to stay with them. That's why they're they're forming partnerships now. So there's a lot of things that DSOs have done to react To what they did initially where when they bought an older doctor and they retired they couldn't find a replacement now they'll get somebody maybe in their 40s 50s or late 30s who's a real rock star and they'll give them equity so that when they sell so you can see there's a lot of a lot of things going on in the dental side for some of the entrepreneurs to really do better because they're not using their two hands anymore they've developed a business that someone's going to pay a handsome premium for. So that's a whole nother story that's still developing as we go along. There's no script written for this. It's just is happening.
0: That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, that's the difference between having a job and having a career in dentistry, I think, right? And so there's there's a lot of different scenarios that can play out. The key that we want to make right now is that make sure that you work with someone that has the experience and knowledge. And, and doesn't necessarily have um, um, any skin in the game for you because they can give you just honest um, information and honest and, and um, sound uh, sound advice on how to make these steps happen so that you can have yes. this great super long career or as short as you want. you know it's like uh, that's right they, the, the, the younger generation they can pivot on it I mean they can pivot. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And I, I give them credit for that. If they're not happy, darn it. It's okay. I'm going to go looking into a different direction. But yep. um, we'd like to s- keep all uh, we'd like to keep, you know, the majority of these smart, talented, um, educated people, caring people in the profession, because, you um, it's been a great profession to you and to me. So
1: yes, it has. Um,
0: thank you, Tom, so much. Well, thank um, you, Ann. It's
1: great. I appreciate the opportunity to share some of my ideas and experiences with you and our audience, and uh, hope everybody found this uh, little chat to be uh, a benefit.
0: I'm sure they have, and 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 if you want more statistics because Tom came up with uh you know three four pages of statistics for you, uh, in our. Um, in our edition, in our late summer edition of Dental Entrepreneur of the Future Dentistry, check out Tom Snyder's article. It'll be up online on our website, dentalentrepreneur.com. Um, really soon, they, that print edition just came out and then well, digital's out there um, coming. I think it went out last week as well. So you can find his article. It's really eye-opening and also hopeful, Tom. That's what I love when you write for us because it's always very hopeful about how to have a great profession. Don't be afraid. Just, just go for it and get the right people around you. Tom, how can people find you if they have questions on transition or, or, or have it, sure. they want to buy a practice yeah. or sell well, a
1: practice? I, they, they can con- the best, best way is to contact me via my email, which is uh, tom.snyder at And that way I'll, I'll get the email and I'll try to get back to you usually uh, within a couple of days, because I uh, sometimes I'm, I'm out on the golf course playing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm now uh, uh, semi retired, so to speak. So I still, uh, I still enjoy what I do and I'm passionate about it. And uh, I'm happy to help anybody. So if you have some questions, reach out to me and I'll get back to you.
0: That sounds great. And that'll be in the show notes for everybody. And again, you can find some of his past art articles on in Dental Entrepreneur uh, on our website. So, Tom, you're just a delight. You've been a dear friend, a, a wonderful same, mentor. Man. And um, you know, I just love knowing you and, and always appreciate um, what you bring to us and to well, our thank viewers. Thank you so much.
1: You've given me some great opportunities over my career to you know express my thoughts and feelings, and it's much appreciated.
0: And our friendship
1: is even stronger.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, I like to say, well, you know, hit him, hit him straight out there now when you're out in the course and, and uh, have fun and uh, give your family my best. And for all those listening, uh, most importantly, keep doing you. Thanks everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks Tom.